Hello, everyone. Welcome to Danny's Diary, the podcast powered by Singing News Magazine. I'm your host, Danny Jones. We are glad that you have tuned in. My guest today is a very familiar voice in the world of Southern Gospel Radio. I'm referring to Greg Hutchins. Hello, Greg. How are you today? I'm doing great, Danny. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Now, this is a little bit of a twist and turn for you. Usually, you're the one asking the questions, uh, but it's my turn today. And uh, let's, let's do the very obvious thing. Let's go back to day one in the radio life of Greg Hutchins. Start us way back then. All right, started off um, to go back just a little further. My dad uh, was a musician. We uh, moved to Nashville when I was about 10 years old. He played on the Grand Ole Opry. After about two years of that road life, he decided, uh, I need to get in another occupation. He had always been interested in radio, so he actually got into radio. Well, along about this time, like I said, I was 10, 11 years old, something like that, and I would follow him to the radio station, watch him work, and uh, got interested in it myself. So uh, uh, later on, when I turned about 16, I actually had my first radio job uh, doing an overnight shift at a, a thousand, what we called a thousand-watt daytimer doing country music, and I kind of evolved from there as far as the southern gospel the earliest remembrance i can have of southern gospel was sitting on my aunt's knee and listening to chuck wagon gang albums on this big old zenith stereo she had in the living room there Uh, later on progressed uh, that uh, i also am a musician and started playing in a recording studio and was there one day playing on a record my girlfriend who was a country singer at the time we were every bit of 14 years old and we were recording uh, a 45 rpm record so anyway uh, come to find out the guy that owned the studio was a fellow by the name of tilford salyer mm-hmm. who went on to be a very recognizable name in southern gospel music and he said uh, boy i like the way you play would you be interested in playing on other people's records and i remember saying for money <laughs> he said he said yes you you went straight to the chord right there went, didn't you went straight from listening to chuck wagon gang records to on the drum throne playing on records and before i know it within a couple of years i had played on three hopper brothers back then it was hopper brothers and connie had played on three of their albums and by the way uh claude offered me a job and i was 16 but i was a, uh, i had a little bit of smarts he said now what you need to do he said you'll play drums for the hoppers and then you'll teach dean how to play drums and i go I'm thinking in my mind, okay, what happens when Dean <laughs> learns how to play? <laughs> so, so anyway, I declined that job. I kept playing in the studio, but uh, I did not take the Hopper, Hopper Brothers and Connie Road job. And the future of gospel music has never been the same <laughs> never since. Never been the same. <laughs> never been the same. Well, then uh, along the way, uh, you've you've been a an important part of some radio stations. Uh, uh, let's start back in uh, Bristol. Yes. Uh, WZAP. Now, that is where you and I first got acquainted. Absolutely. You were uh, on the air up there. You right. had the market, uh, I'm sorry, you had the market cornered up there. Everything was Greg Hutchins. Yeah. You know, if it was a gospel concert, Greg Hutchins had a hand <laughs> in it. If it was gospel radio, Greg <laughs> Hutchins had a corner in it. And uh, so... There were some. That was some great times for Southern gospel music in that area. Absolutely. You know, when you're going through a, a golden period of, I guess, anything, you, you really don't know that it's the golden period until you have something to compare it to. But it really was. In fact, Tony Green, God rest his soul, called me. He called me the Pope of WZAP. That was the call.
all letters of the station. But anyway, uh, one thing happened was that the owner of the station was from Waycross, Georgia, and he remembered the All Night Sings. So he had kind of a background in Southern Gospel, and he knew that I was playing in recording studios there, playing on a lot of records and new Southern Gospel. So I went from being, uh, at the time, a part-time uh, DJ to being the station manager because when he uh, announced that he was uh, changing the format from country music to gospel music, everybody left except him, his wife, and me. <laughs> so he handed me a box. We had 13 Southern Gospel 45 RPM records in it, two of which was uh, He's Still Working on Me by the Hemp Hills and Bigger Than Any Mountain by Gordon Jensen. So you had 13 songs. Mm-hmm. Well, now, wait a minute. Was there an A-side and a B-side? Uh, you know, I don't remember. You know, they did an A and B, and then later on they put the same song on the album, uh, this, the record. One was stereo and one was mono, so I, I can't really answer that. All right, well, that. let's split the difference. Okay. So let's say you had 20 songs. Yeah, okay, 20 songs. So 20 songs mm-hmm. to get through a whole day? Yes, yes. So here's what I did. I picked up this magazine called Singing News Magazine, and I went through, and every phone number I saw of a record company, I don't care if it was Bucket Lid Records or whatever, I gave it a call and said, help! I need your library. So I started getting in the music. And of course, uh, one thing there around in the Bristol and Kingsport area, you had groups like the McLaughlins, you had the Singing Cooks, you had a group called the Redeemed Quartet that was kind of semi-famous, the Good Shepherd Quartet. You had some really good groups around. Dora Lawson and Quicksilver lived there in Bristol. So I I got some of their stuff, too, to add to my 20-song collection. So we started from there. Plus, it didn't hurt that WZAP was uh, 10,000 watts on 690, which is a great AM frequency. In fact, we were what was called Canadian Clear. There was not another station on 690 between Bristol, uh, Tennessee, Virginia, and the Canadian border. So, I mean, it boomed out there. It certainly Good did. station. Right. And then uh, after the days of, of Bristol, you found yourself in Music City, USA. In fact, due to uh, you and a fellow by the name of Dave Wilcox, and the, you and Dave would call me asking about songs about you know the Eddie Crook label, whatever, and you would always say, if there's anything I can ever do for you, just let me know. And I kept saying, get me to Nashville. <laughs> get me to Nashville. And so, uh, lo and behold, somehow, some way, I made it to Nashville, and our mutual friend, John Wesley, Hired me at WENO, which, by the way, back in the day, uh, in the early days, uh, the 60s, was the country music powerhouse of Nashville. It wasn't WSM. It was WENO, right. the WENO Ranch. So anyway, the station had gone dark. They it had moved to Florida. Uh, John Wesley somehow found it and brought it back to Nashville and opened it up as a Southern Gospel station, which you worked at. That's right. And I tell you what, for a small 1,000-watt station, that was a powerhouse, too. It was. And, you know, we, we had the luxury of being uh, in the right place at the right Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And we had uh, the support of all the record labels that were in existence at the time. You know, every time you turned around, someone from Heartwarming or Canaan or Eddie Crook or uh, any of those labels, they were right there. We Absolutely. had the latest stuff. We debuted a lot of the songs that people are now referring to as classics, which is another nice way of saying we're old. <laughs> well, that's true. We have tested positive for being a geezer for sure. But the good thing about uh, uh, Wino is that not we weren't trend followers. I really do believe, without boasting, we were trendsetters. We did. We we and honestly, we even called it out on air a few times. We are, are experimenting with this song just to yes. see what would happen. Yes. 
fortunately for us, most of those experiments were successful. Now, we had one or two that blew up in our face, but the, the fact of the matter is it, it was a great time. And, uh, you know, every time you and I talk about those days, the, the laughter is way more than the tears. <laughs> and, uh, of course, now you are such an integral in part of Singing News Radio. Everybody who listens to the Singing News Radio Network know that you are the morning guy for us <laughs> because you are the only one willing to get up That's that true. early, who for else one thing. Up? Who else will beat the bread and milkman up? That's exactly right. <laughs> but uh, you've been doing this for quite a while. Actually, uh, I was working at Wino there, and uh, I got a call, and this fellow says, uh, Hi, uh, I, I've been hired to put a uh, Southern Gospel satellite network on in Nashville, Tennessee, moving it from, from California. And uh, would you be interested in working? And I, 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 I couldn't tell them how to get from – and this, you're going to find this funny living in Nashville. I couldn't tell him how to get from Dickerson Road to Wino. Uh, I, I was so new in town. So anyway, I handed the phone to John Wesley, and uh, he, he got him down here. Uh, and they offered me a full-time job, but I didn't take it because John had just – took a chance on me and hired this hillbilly from East Tennessee to be on Wino, and I hadn't been there but two or three months, and I just didn't want to – I didn't feel it was right to leave Wino and go. So I worked part-time for the network. But then, um, you know, Jim Cumbie bought it, and and, and it turned into, uh, I guess, Reach Satellite – it's had two or three different names, mm-hmm. Reach Satellite Network, Solid Gospel, but uh, the Singing News Radio Network. I've actually been here since 1995, and uh, at this location since, uh, I guess it was uh, – uh, to 2001. Right. So, you, so you're definitely not the new kid on the block. <laughs> but you're still excited every yes, day absolutely. To, to play uh, the music that we believe in. I absolutely. Mean, we, we really believe this is the greatest music in the world. And uh, we'll talk more with Greg in just a moment, but I do want to remind you that the best way to keep up with everything going on in the world of Southern Gospel music is through the different channels of Singing News, whether it's Singing News Radio, Singing News Magazine, singingnewsradio.com or singingnews.com, you will be up to date with all the latest happenings in Southern Gospel music. And if you would like to have the Singing News magazine delivered to your mailbox each and every month, one call can make that happen. Simply dial 800-527-5226 or visit singingnews.com and you too can have the Singing News in your mailbox. Greg Hutchins of Singing News Radio Network is our guest today on Danny's Diary. And uh, Greg, we're going to we're, we're going to throw a few names at you right now. All right. I just want your first reaction. Okay. Are All you right. ready? I'm ready. You are ready. Ready? Really yep. ready. I'm ready. Okay, you're, you're, you're not sweating enough yet. A little bit, but this is radio. They okay. can't see it. Here we go. Troy Peach of the Perrys. Uh, remember Troy from uh, as a young man, his, his uh, desire to really desire to get into Southern Gospel. I mean, he has wanted this for a long, long time. Yes, he has. All right, let's go uh, Barbara Spencer. Sweetheart of a lady. Uh, the Spencer family you mentioned back in my Bristol days, I was a concert promoter for seven years and booked the Spencers uh, at least once a year for seven years. Always a, a precious lady. Uh, she's just one of the, the true uh, uh, great ladies of Southern Gospel. You alluded to him a few moments ago, but uh, Tony Green. Tony Green was a car, very, very, I think, underrated, uh, not only uh, at such a young age. I remember when their first record came out, they had literally recorded it in their basement studio, and he almost had as high a voice as his sister. But there was something about him 
that that folks liked. He was a great MC. He he knew uh, his his timing as far as jokes was was just about impeccable, and just a real visionary. He knew the business side of Southern gospel. He knew the the nuts and bolts, and uh, a very very talented guy. One more, and uh, we'll we'll go back uh, to uh, a group that makes their home in Candler, North Carolina, the Primitive Quartet. I tell you what, I can't think of a more uh, solid group. Uh, I'll say in Southern gospel music, you know, it started out they were kind of. Do you call them bluegrass gospel? Do you call them acoustic gospel? They have they have blown down all those doors. Now they are just the primitive quartet. Whether you like the quartet singing or the bluegrass style, everybody loves the primitive quartet. Uh, they just impeccable. That's what I would say. They're just impeccable. They found their niche and they've stayed true. Absolutely. To it. Okay, you did well on that. Now let's let's talk about the other side of Greg Hutchins. Okay, you know, everybody knows the radio side, but yeah. you can't. Uh, you can't talk about Greg Hutchins without talking about cooking with Greg Hutchins. <laughs> yeah. Now, first of all, before we dive into all the cookbooks and things like that, where did your love of cooking come from? Well, first of all, I like to eat. I mean, let's just put it and you know, say, how did you get into all this cookbook stuff and all the recipes? Uh, selfishness. To be honest with you, uh, like most people in the South, uh, my aunts, my grandmothers, they, they cooked all this stuff that would, quite frankly, uh, you know, make uh, some of these country uh, restaurants uh, put, uh, hang their head in shame. And so I saw these, these folks dying off. They didn't have recipes, per se. And so I saw these recipes dying with them. So I literally started taking a video camera and interviewing them and, and say, make make this, and then show me how to do it and whatever. So anyway, so uh, I start collecting the recipes just for my own use, to be honest with you. How it actually translated on the radio was another fluke, as most things are. I'm on the radio, and I'm looking for one of these old hand-crank-type ice cream freezers. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, where you make homemade ice cream? Well, you can find them anywhere. It's got the motor on them. But I wanted the one where you got to crank it, okay? Can't hardly find those. So anyway, I mentioned over the air, I'm looking for a hand-crank ice cream freezer. A guy calls me from Ohio and says there's a company named uh, the White Company out of Pennsylvania that sells those. So I look, and sure enough, uh, for $149, you can get this uh, hand-crank ice cream freezer. So I got one of those. All right, and about the same time, I'm, I'm on the computer there, and I see this thing called Urban Legends, and it was the legend of the $250 cookie recipe. Supposedly, some lady had gone into Neiman Marcus, and I didn't know they had restaurants in some of their bigger stores. Evidently, they do. She had ordered this meal and had uh, one of their cookies for dessert. She loved the cookie so much, she told the waiter, I would love this recipe. So he comes back and says, well, the manager says you can have it for $250. She thinks he's saying $2.50. But she gets her credit card bill, and it's $250. So she's outraged. So she calls them and says, if you don't refund my money, I'm going to release this recipe, you know, publicly. So that's supposedly how it gets there. And they did a good job because uh, the, the recipe called for, like, five pounds of butter, you know, 25 pounds of sugar. It looked like a commercial recipe, okay? So anyway, so I did the math and, and deduced it down and made those cookies, and they are, they're some of the best cookies. I've, in fact, I call it the $250 cookie recipe. So anyway, so I go on the air after I've got my ice cream freezer, and I say, all right, coming up next, a recipe that a lady paid $250 for, but you're going to get it for free. 
the ultimate tease, right? Right. So anyway, the next morning I come in, I got 35 emails wanting that recipe. So I'm going like, okay, well, let's do another recipe. Cathead biscuits. You know, that was one of my deals, cathead biscuits. So anyway, it, it started after that. And then, By the way, yeah. there are some very unfortunate people in the world who have no idea what a cathead biscuit yeah, is. Yeah, in fact, Karen Peck asked me, said, you don't actually put cat parts in those biscuits, do you, Greg? I just kind of smiled. I didn't. I didn't say anything. <laughs> so. So anyway. All right. Well, All right. Okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's kind of how it happened. I, I would start to where I would give recipes on the air, and then a lady called one day. She said, "Why don't you put these recipes into a book?" Ding. So uh, five cookbooks later, there we are. Five cookbooks. Wow. Yep. Did Did you ever really imagine it? You know, you know no maybe idea. when you're doing the first one, okay, yeah. this will be one and done, and yeah. I'll move on to something else. And now here you are, four more later. Well, and it wasn't because you know you really don't you really don't it's not a money thing because you it, they're really an effort to put out because you don't want to you don't want to give somebody something and and the recipe doesn't turn out right, right you know so so I I test the recipes and proofread and everything so they're not easy to put out but so uh, you you have personally tested every recipe that's in those five cookbooks well i didn't get to 600 pounds the easy way buddy no (laughs) No, yes i uh, i have over the years and and there again you know i've refined them i've I've got one that's has uh, you know some diabetic recipes Mm -hmm. in it i've got some that's just for like holiday stuff for cookies and candies and stuff like this so specialized all right so with all of this experience and and recipes and cookbooks and, and cooking itself what is your all-time favorite dish to prepare? Probably my best one would probably be, as far as desserts, would, would be a, a homemade uh, chocolate meringue pie. Chocolate meringue pie. Uh, as far as uh, one of the the tastiest and easiest to make is crock-pot lasagna, believe it or not. Uh, there's a Christmas recipe um, that uh, a Christmas punch recipе that uh, that it, uh, all it is is a sprite, a seven up, and a block of lime sherbet, and it's it's excellent. And then uh, probably the easiest recipe is my three my three ingredient peanut butter cookies. I call it the one one in one. One egg, one cup of sugar, one cup of peanut butter. Mix it up, pat them out in ten minutes. The best peanut butter cookie ever. Well, let's just go ahead and, and throw in the shameless plug. If you are one of those <laughs> listeners who would love to have one of these cookbooks by yeah. Greg Hutchins, yeah. what do they need to do? Call that number that you've been talking about. 800-527-5226. Say, i got to have a brother Craig cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today, Greg Hutchins of the Singing News Radio Network. Make sure you tune in to Singing News Radio every weekday morning. He will get your day started off correctly. Uh, Greg, you've been a part of gospel music for a long time, and uh, being involved in radio, you've had the same opportunities that I've had along the way to break news to your listeners. Sometimes it's good news, sometimes it's bad news. And all of the years that you've been doing gospel radio, what do you feel has been the single biggest news story in gospel music? Well, that's a hard one. Um, To be honest, one that had a profound effect on me that that, uh, really uh, not only uh, is about Southern gospel music, but I guess I was on the air the morning of of, – Uh, 9-11. In fact, a fellow DJ that works here came in and and, uh, told me that, uh, you know, a plane had flown into the one of the towers. I was thinking it's probably like a, a Cessna, you know, a, a passenger plane or something. Uh, he comes back in and says that a plane has flown into 
number two. So anyway, so I'm going like, wow, this this sounds serious. And then he comes in and he says, uh, he says, tower number one has fallen. And I remember saying to him, his name is Wade, and I said, Wade, you mean to tell me one of the twin towers has fallen down? You know, I, I couldn't believe it. And so then I found out what it was, and to then have to go on the air, and, and as you well know, our control room overlooks the runway mm-hmm. here at Nashville Airport. Well, the airplanes, of course, were grounded immediately and didn't fly for what a couple a couple, couple months days, i guess yeah. it was yeah. so anyway uh so going on the air and 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 talking about that and, and people that somehow you you think it would be incredible that that people hadn't heard about it but people i guess that were working or whatever weren't near a tv or radio or whatever they they didn't know about it and they they started hearing about this and hey i heard about this and is this true and whatever so i would say that, that probably uh had a profound effect was the most profound but also how it does tie into southern gospel music uh it was almost like i was experiencing uh the great revival that i hear all the old preachers talk about that people and i understand too that church attendance picked up or whatever i could tell by the timbre of people's voice when they called in requesting songs they were requesting what i call the real heavy duty blood songs you know it wasn't the trivial stuff they were wanting the real meaty stuff because Mm -hmm. of this uh, attack on our country so i would i would have to say the the you know breaking the news of of 9-11 would probably be the most profound It's something like that. It will never leave your mind. And unless you were there to hear it as it happened, you know, know, like in the control room or something, it's it's really hard to fathom what's going through your mind as you're trying to accurately tell thousands of people what's going on. Because you know at this point they're hanging on your every word. And there is a, a real sense of responsibility that comes in uh, of like, okay, I've got to be accurate, not only Absolutely. for my reputation, but for my employer's reputation right. and just the general public. And and you get that. It's easy to second-guess yourself when you're doing things on the fly. Mm-hmm. But you and I have both learned through the years that instinct takes over. You, yeah. you inherently know, okay, I'm okay with this part. I'm okay with this. And sometimes the best thing you can do is not tell everything you know until, until later. Because there was all kinds of rumors. Uh, you know, of course, we had the plane that crashed in the field in Pennsylvania, and then it was like, oh, this is – and then you start hearing the rumors. Right. You know, and uh, and then I think of that FCC rule. It's in the rule book. You shall not knowingly transmit any false information. That's right. <laughs> you know? And, and you know, and uh, in what we do, you just have to be very careful. Yes, Whether it's absolutely. a podcast or radio or print right. or anything, you right. have to go that extra degree, and and uh, it can lead to frustration on the parts of other people, the people on the receiving end of the news. But it's a different world. You get, you just can't say the first thing that comes to your mind. Although <laughs> there have been times in the radio <laughs> control booth that. Boy, I'd really like to say something right yes. here. And hey, sometimes the listeners, they actually go ahead and do say, say some things. <laughs> exactly. All right, speaking of that, what's been the most interesting phone call that you've been on the receiving end of? Oh, my. Oh, boy. It's 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 a bunch of them. Uh, you know, of course, you have the ones where they the, the folks are really out there, and they really do. You know, they, they start their day listening to you. You mm-hmm. know, and that, that's, that's a, I consider that a, a real honor. Uh, and and uh, really think about that every every morning that I come in. Oh, I, I don't know. I guess I guess maybe maybe one would be uh, uh, had this uh, uh, person call and uh, um, they uh, they had won they had won uh, a CD, you know. And so uh, 
they were supposed to go to the. Uh, I told them that okay, go to the head of the class, and when you uh, when you get there, you'll you'll find a CD. And there was this pause, and it says uh, it goes uh, uh, I I don't know where head of the class is. I live in Hattiesburg. <laughs> <laughs> okay so where did I, you go from there <laughs> well I, I don't know i didn't know i had to check make sure there wasn't a head of the class mississippi but uh <laughs> that, that's one that uh, sticks out well being part of singing news radio network it means you've got listeners all around the country yeah, yeah. and even some other places thanks to the the app and things yeah. like that uh i got let me tell you one more I, this okay. is on my mind i gotta tell you this i can one. see the wheels turning yeah. right here it's late, real early in the morning you know i just had to sit down and the, uh, the phone rang and, and uh, uh, I say, uh, <clears throat> good morning, Singing News Radio. She goes, is this Radio Shack? I said, no, ma'am, this is Singing News Radio. Uh-huh. Well, I bought a radio down there yesterday. It don't work no more. I said, ma'am, this is Singing News Radio. Uh-huh. Well, it comes on, but I don't hear no music. Ma'am, ma'am, this is Singing News Radio, not Radio Shack. What am I talking to you for, Slam? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing funnier than real life. <laughs> so, so where, where where's the, been the uh, the most unusual phone call? I mean, a fr- distance or location wise. Well, actually, I got one this morning from Sacramento, California. Okay, it, it, it's amazing. You know, uh, I remember the network has kind of evolved with the times too. I remember when we were supposed to be in everybody's hometown, and it was kind of you know you you wanted to say that you know don't don't say that when you're doing interviews. Don't say Nashville. You know, you're we're in everybody's hometown, and I. Th- I think in the early days they actually sent out uh, uh, photos of the DJs that people in the affiliate stations would put up in their their hallways, you know, that this is our DJs, you know. Of course, you run into the problem, a lady would call and say, Brother Greg, I'm going to bring you down a blueberry pie. And, and you know, she's in Evansville, Indiana. You're going like, uh, well, uh, I've, I have to leave early today, you know, so it's kind of uncomfortable, you know. So I'm kind of glad we, we could pull the facade off there and, and know that, you know, that uh, that we are in Nashville. So, uh, you know, that's one thing that's changed. And, uh uh, of course, so. you get visitors in Nashville too. Oh, not, absolutely! You, you, in fact, uh, in the magazine not too long ago, there was a story about a lady that that came by. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, she uh, she came by uh, uh, a lady named Betty Marcos. Well, there's been several folks that came by. Speaking of people that came by, as far as long distance calls, I got this call from this sixth grade school teacher in Fritzlar, Germany. Fritzlar, Germany. She became a Southern gospel music fan when she was a real Elvis fan. And so if she liked Elvis, she obviously had to like J.D. Sumner and the Stamps. So as a young girl, she became a real fan of J.D. Sumner and the Stamps and Southern gospel music. So anyway, through the app, she's listening to Greg Hutchins on the morning show in Fritzlar, Germany. So first time ever, she comes to tour the United States. So she comes to Nashville and was right here in this studio, interviewed her. She had never seen a baseball game before. And uh, it happened to be uh, on the, the, the 4th of July. And, of course, there was fireworks everywhere. And she goes like, she says, uh, Boy, you you, uh, you Americans like like to uh, you, you know shoot off fireworks. I said, well, uh, this Fourth of July, there was this little skirmish we had with the British a few years ago that kind of <laughs> kind of causes us to do things like this on the Fourth of July. But it's very interesting. Uh, I took her to Cracker Barrel. I guess we can say that. 
And uh, they don't have those in Germany. Don't do have they? Cracker Barrels in Germany, and uh, they, so they don't know what a cat head biscuit is. Oh, either. they they did not. They probably would really think there were cat parts in there. Which, by the way, Karen, no, there is no cat parts in the cat head biscuits. But anyway, one thing as far as a cultural difference, she was amazed that in Germany you don't get refills unless you pay for them. If you get if you get a drink, if you want another drink, you pay for it. And the lady kept coming around and refilling her tea glass, and she said, "Greg, are you having to pay for this?" And I said, "No, just one time you get." You know, you get all the refills. So we went to a Nashville Sounds baseball game or whatever. But uh, I guess that's probably the longest call. Fritz Lar Germany was is probably about as far as I've. And gone. If she happens to be listening now, we say hello once again. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. Hey, our guest today is Greg Hutchins of Singing News Radio Network. And let me remind you that uh, the best way to keep up with everything going on in the world of Southern gospel music is Singing News Magazine. Even after fifty-one years, mm-hmm. you can be in the know to make sure that the Singing News magazine is delivered to your mailbox every month. Simply dial 800-527-5226 or visit singingnews.com. And every now and then you might even find Greg Hutchins in the Singing News magazine. Now, Greg, you've been a part of gospel music, as we said, for a number of years. What uh, and, and you've seen the changes, the good, yes. the bad, yes. and everything in between. If you were to be... Uh, uh, asked to sit on a committee that says, okay, we're going to uh, do our best to improve things for Southern gospel music. What is something that you would recommend as a way to give this music a shot in the arm? Well, that's a tough question, Danny, because I, I've, a lot of things that I would suggest are actually being implemented, and, and I'll, 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 I'll be very specific about that. Uh, I don't think 10 years ago, that you could have uh, uh, sat in the the chair there at Singing News uh, Radio and played Elvis Presley and Lisa Marie, Where No One Stands Alone. Yet that's that's one of the most requested songs here. Uh, I'm seeing uh, uh, projects by Reba McIntyre. You know, I'm I'm seeing. Uh, I I, w- I would have said, you know, let's try to get it more in, into the mainstream because I remember when I was sitting there on my, my aunt's knee years ago listening to the Chuck Wagon Gang records. It was not unusual to go to someone's house, and back then, of course, it was albums, and you would just casually flip through their album, and you'd see uh, you'd see uh, George Jones, you'd see the Beatles, uh, Andy Williams, and, and the Chuck Wagon Gang or the Blackwood Brothers. It was at that time, you know, somehow we kind of got away from that, but then so it's it's kind of coming back more you know that way as far as as far as acceptance you know uh, you know i played on the grand Ole opry for 18 years and just about all the the country music stars they they love you know dotty rambo and uh, you know uh, some some great stories about dotty rambo i remember you know specifically but they they knew southern gospel and a lot of them got their bill anderson got his uh, his uh, start singing in churches as a lot of the artists did so uh you know, I think one thing, the biggest obstacle to Southern gospel music, unfortunately, is is what the Bible says, you know, uh, that, that there at some point in time is going to be the great falling away, and you're going to have to take a stand. One thing about Southern gospel music, they say, well, if you would do this, yeah, if you water it down, though, if you water it down – as quite frankly, I think some musics have, it, it isn't Southern gospel anymore. And, and I, I do think it's a compromise. So um, just keep putting out as good a quality as, as we have. I mean, uh, you know, to brag on our network a little bit, 
we ha- we have you uh, with Singing News Magazine, Rick Francis, who uh, was bass player for McCamey's uh, for many years. He's with the staff. Troy Peach, who sings with the Perrys. Uh, you know, I, I've been around since Hitler was a corporal in Southern gospel music. Uh, Wayne Hahn. You know, I mean, just try to do as good a job as we can, keep the quality up there, and and let the the music speak for itself. One thing I wouldn't do if I was on the committee is say, you know, it seems like every 20 years or so, Southern Gospel Music, and I'm on my soapbox now, tries to quote-unquote young it up. Every time that happens, it, it leaves a trail of devastation because, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're young, you're bulletproof. You're not going to die. I mean, you can do anything. As you get older, you see that that's not true. And and I think you have to be, uh, for lack of a better term, more mature to understand the really meaty message in Southern gospel music. Well, I've often said that life experience is gospel music's best friend. Absolutely. Our guest today has been Greg Hutchins. And before we sign off, Greg, we have to have the answer to this one question. Okay. Troy Peach, our engineer today, yes. wants to know the answer. Our mm-hmm. musician, Eli Fortner, he wants to know the answer. Okay. Thousands of listeners want to know the answer. Where in the world do you come up with some of these one-liners that you use? <laughs> you mean like hop and holler and hound dog howdy and the long-legged shike poke? Yeah, that's one of them, yeah. Brush ape. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Sugar booger. <laughs> Wait a minute, can you say that on a podcast? Is that okay to say? Well, anyway, we've said it. I tell you what, uh, what happens there? The, how this all got started is because of where I'm from. You know, people say, "Where are you from?" I'll say, "Did you ever watch the Beverly Hillbillies?" They go, "Yeah." I said, "That's where I'm from." <laughs> wow. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm really I was dug out of the side of a mountain. I'm a hillbilly. I mean, I've you know I've been to college and whatever, and, and been thankful to to travel all around the United States and and actually out of the country uh, through my music career. But uh, but I'm still I can run a trot line. I can skin a deer. You know. Uh, so I like to camp out and fish and hunt. And so I'm basically, uh, I guess you would say, a cultured hillbilly. Yeah. I and mean, I'm not ashamed of it. Hey, folks, let me tease you with this. Next time you see Greg Hutchins, ask him about fishing with a hoagie, okay? <laughs> yeah. It's a story yeah. that you've got yes. to hear. <laughs> hey, make sure you tune in every weekday morning to Singing News Radio Network, whether you're listening to a radio station or the app. I promise you, you will enjoy our buddy Greg Hutchins. Make sure you look out for the announcement of the next episode of of Danny's Diary. It will be coming soon. Thanks for listening.